Welcome to the journey, where we are going to talk about a lifestyle with dogs and throw in a few life lessons along the way. Whether you're a hound hunter, a bird dog enthusiast running setters, pointers, retrievers, or a flat-out running dog junkie, this podcast is for you. I am your host, Heath Hyatt, a certified law enforcement canine trainer with over three decades of personal professional training and handling experience. It's time for me to pay it forward. So grab your leads, lace up those boots, and come and join me on this lifelong process of teaching, training, and learning called The Journey. Do you like to be outdoors like I do? Hunting, fishing, hiking? If so, OnX is the app for you. I've been a loyal OnX user since 2013. It's the one app I can honestly say I use daily. While hunting, I know where I'm at at all times. I mark trails, feeding, bedding areas, and the list goes on. When I'm traveling, I use it to pre-scout all the new places that I'm blessed to hunt. While out west hiking Yellowstone, I knew exactly where every trail went and the difficulty of each one. And here's a secret. I even use it to mark my favorite fishing spots. It's been a game changer at work. I've used it numerous times to get in touch with property owners. I even landed MedFlight one time in the middle of nowhere using the GPS coordinates. Onyx has so many great features and tools, you can literally use it for everything. It is by far the best mapping app on the market. And hey, it's Houndsman XP approved. So get started with Onyx today using HXP20 and know where you stand. It is Wednesday, and you know what that means. That means there's going to be a new episode of The Journey dropping. So, <clears throat> before we get started, uh, we, we got to get some information out to you. Uh, the Houndsman XP has created its own network, and it's going to be called the Extreme Performance Outdoor Network. So what does this mean for the listeners? If you guys really enjoy listening to The Journey and The Houndsman XP and All Mixed Up and AMA, um, The Dog Men, you're going to have to go to wherever you get your podcast, whether it be Apple or Spotify. And I don't know where else everybody goes. That's kind of my go to Apple, so I'm not sure. But on March the 1st, we are going to be switching from The Sportsman's Empire to The Extreme Performance Outdoor Network. So you're going to have to go in to where you get it and type in the show that you want to listen to. If you want to listen to The Journey, you need to type in The Journey with Heath Hyatt. Um, there's a lot of other podcasts called The Journey. Make sure you put it in, you put with Heath Hyatt in there and it'll pop up. Once it pops up, you can like and subscribe just like you did in the first time when you started following and it'll pop up every Wednesday when we drop a new episode, and you're good to go. It's just a little transition there. Um, you just have to type it in your search bar. It won't take you 10 seconds to do it, and we appreciate it. Once I find figure out which um, picture or what my background is going to be for the podcast, which I'm not sure yet what I'm going to use, I will post that on my reels. I'll post it on my stories, and 
you can go and that po- that picture will be attached with it to it'll be self-explanatory. So March 1st, everything's coming off the Sportsman's Empire. It's going on to the Houndsman XP Network, which is going to be Extreme Performance Outdoor Network. And we're just going to keep rolling. So let's get this one started. Thank you guys for following us on the journey. All right, it is Wednesday, and we are dropping another episode. And this, one, this one's hot off the press, literally hot off the press. And we're going to make a trip. If you guys are on the East Coast and you say Southern, two things come to mind, and that's fried chicken and sweet tea. And we can't get any more Southern than Southern Georgia. And we got Mr. Mark Booth on with the Southern Hound Hunting Magazine, and he is in Southern Georgia. So we are honored to have him on. And we're going to talk about something later on in the podcast that is near and dear to both of us. And that's kind of how we we hooked up on this. But um, Mark's getting ready to do a youth uh, uh, a youth edition of his magazine. And we're going to talk a lot about that because we both – um hold that pretty dear to us but mark i appreciate you coming on uh i hope you're going to have a good weekend how's ever we say this every time like how's everything down in southern georgia i appreciate you having me on Heath. happy to do it been listening to you for a while now and it's been an honor to be on the show with you but uh everything's good right now we're still a little wet in south georgia we've been getting a bunch of rain since january so the woods are pretty wet for us right now but uh, everything's going well, keeping us busy anyway. Yeah, I, you know, it's what little bit of time I've spent down there. Um, I used to go to the Winter Classic down in Albany. Yeah. And, um, man, I, and I don't – I'm pretty sure it's called the Pineland Plantation. Mm-hmm. I threw out on that booger twice, and I can't remember the guy's name. This has been eons ago. And we drove into this plantation and it's, you know, it's just like Southern Georgia. It's, it's clay roads. We drove down this road, dust flying up and we go across this little low water bridge, across the low water bridge. And, you know, he pulls over to the side and we pull over and I was hunting my old brandy female, that little plot female that I had. And he, he said, all right, he said, we're going to cut them down through here. And I'm telling you, Mark, they did not get out of the beam of the light. Cause splash, cause splash, and I'm like, "What is that?" And he goes, "Oh, it's a it's a canal through here." Well, those dogs treed, and literally, I still have that picture somewhere. I need to post it. Um, the dogs were up shoulder level, standing up on the tree with their front their front legs and the heads out of the water treed. And I'm like, mm-hmm. "That was my first experience down there." Yep. And I'm like, Holy cow! And then you know, we pulled up and went down the road, and we dropped them again. And he's like, "Yeah, there may be a few gators in here." And I was like, "Gators." I was like, yeah, no, I don't want a part of that, and I don't want my dog being a dinner for no gator. But yeah, when when you come down here, if you're not used to it, there's a lot of water, and there's some reptiles that you got to be worried about with the hounds, especially. And you know, I've grown up hunting this my entire life with all my buddies, and it's just part of our life. We're used to it. We've waited in a swamp to get dogs before. And uh, we've come up on some of the alligators and plenty of moccasins, too. But uh, that's just part of the culture down here, and we wouldn't have it any other way. Take a big stick to them. I will tell you, that night, I actually drew out – you black and tan guys that are listening, I'm going to throw you a bone. I drew out a three-time Albert. 
Um, that, like I said, that's how long it's been. And I will tell you, for a black and tan, that dog was forevermore a tree dog. I mean, toenailed in, and I'm 120 barks a minute. Just, yo, 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 yo. I was very impressed. And I don't know who was hunting him at the time. It was not the owner. But, um, yeah, that, that was a good cast, had a good time. And that was my first experience in down in that area. So, been been in there several times since. But <clears throat> yeah, we miss having the Winter Classic down here. I've been in about two hours northwest of us, but Winter Classic mm-hmm. was a big deal, you know, years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish we could get something like that going down here again. Yeah, and I mean, they made a. I mean, I know that uh, Fielder done a podcast on it. I mean, they used to have the the deputies out directing traffic, and it was a big yeah. ordeal, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a big time show back in the day. It was everybody from around here that didn't even coon hunt wanted to go just to see it and be a part of it. Yeah, well, well, that's my story about the Winter Classic, and I'm sticking to it. That's pretty, <laughs> much, that's pretty much what happened the first my first event down there. So, well, Mark, I want to talk to you about. I know you just got back last week from out west. Uh, tell us, tell us about your hunt. You went lion hunting, and you don't have to give location. I don't care; it's up to you. Um, tell us about your hunt, the dogs, what you experienced. How was it? It was an adventure, you know, for a southern boy who's not done a bunch of traveling for hunting um, in my life. It was one of those bucket list trips, you know, especially since I started the magazine read about lion hunts, heard all the stories, and I'm like, that's something I want to do before I get too old. And so I turned 40 this past November, and that's what my wife got me for my birthday was a, a lion hunting trip. Nice. So, yeah, it was a pretty good gift from, from her. I'll take give her that. But uh, so booked it in Arizona with Mike Bency. And uh, so, of course, Arizona most times going to be a dry ground hunt. And I tried to prepare for it. Um, did a lot of running, got some boots, did my running in my boots, got them broke in and uh, prepared for it as best I could in the altitude we have here in Georgia, which is, you know, a high of 600 foot. <laughs> so got out there on a Thursday and uh, camp was at 4,400 feet in itself. And so that was a little bit, a little bit different for me um, and did a mule back hunt. Never been a cowboy, never been much of a rider. So on Friday, when we broke out the mules and the hounds and uh, hit the Chiricahua Mountains, I was in for quite a little bit of a shock just to see the country. Um, It was beautiful. You couldn't ask for any better scenery. And knowing how we were going to hunt previously after talking to the guide several times before the trip, talking to other people, I was still amazed the handle on the dogs mm-hmm. i think we rode almost five miles back and forth through the switchback going up the mountain and the dogs hunting close trying to cut a track um and he had some great dogs um, i think we had 33 dogs in camp and i think the first day we took 12 mm-hmm. and you know a lot of different kind of hunting than what we're used to down here but watch those dogs work the side of those mountains and coming up and down and working the rocks and never cut a track till we got to the very top of a saddle at about 7,600 foot and it was a sub-adult and something we didn't want to shoot obviously but we thought we might get it up in a tree and be able to see it anyway 
and uh, to watch them work that. And of course, up there, that altitude, there was a little bit of snow. Um, and that was just a, a very cool experience to get to watch dogs work in snow, something I've never obviously seen down here in South Georgia. And uh, before we could get going on that cat track, they were kind of headed in a direction he didn't want to go. So he decided to go in and try to pull the dogs off and go on, try to find a different cat track. So we pulled the dogs off and did some more riding and uh, never got on anything fresh. Uh, Saturday, it was a snow day and we truck hunted and we hunted three or four different mountains riding, trying to cut a fresh track in the snow. And I enjoyed that being able to look because we look for deer tracks down here every morning before deer hunt. You know, we're riding, looking for tracks in the dirt road. And uh, so riding, trying to find a, a line track in the snow was a pretty cool experience. We never did cut one and it snowed on us all day long. From daylight to dark, it was snowing. And when we got back down the last mountain, he told me he'd never seen snow, that much snow at that elevation this late in the year. So we were in for quite a shock the next day. And uh, <laughs> the next day we did a, a big trail with the mules and two or three foot of snow. Mm. And that was for somebody that's not used to the altitude. That's one thing. But then there's somebody not used to snow as well. It was just a combination of, of tough terrain and tough weather for me. And even the conditioning I'd done running, trying to run football stadium steps in preparation for this hunt, I just wasn't prepared. And uh, we finally cut a really nice line track up at the top of a saddle. And from there on, it was game on. And watching the dogs get on a good fresh track, it was a different experience of a race for me to see the dogs at a distance going up and down a mountain. I mean, that's something I could never see down here. And, you know, if I never get to see it again, I can say I've, I've seen it now. But the dog work was amazing to go across that kind of terrain, just up and down, down to the bottom of a ravine and back up the side of a mountain. And to be able to hear them for the most part, you know, get over a, a hill or two every now and then, you can't hear them. But, um, but then we took the sidewall in one of those mountains and me trying to lead a mule and all that snow. And man, it was a, it was a struggle for a country boy. I, I tell you, <laughs> probably the hardest thing I've ever done in my life to this point. And, uh, we finally got down to a point and thought the dogs might have had him treed in a canyon and got in there and he just made a big circle and uh, the dogs had made a loss and got back on him and went to a big rock formation about three quarters of a mile away and the snow had melted on it and then it turned to mud and they were just struggling with it and uh, it was about 3.30 at this time and we were probably 12 miles from the truck so we made the decision to kind of pull them off and try to get back to the truck short of having to sleep on the mountain that night. And I said a lot of prayers that day, to be honest with you. I, uh, <laughs> the mules going around the side of the mountains a little sketchy, ain't it? 
yeah it is and the riding part was pretty scary for me but uh <laughs> but leading him up and down where it was too steep to ride that was uh that was a little much for me too because me and him didn't quite see eye to eye a few times and mm. i'd stumble and fall and he'd kind of step on me a couple times and <laughs> i was like you know if i could get off this mountain today that's not why me up i might just go home to the flatwoods and uh, try this again one day and uh I just kind of realized I'd met my limitations. It, nothing for the guide's fault. I mean, he couldn't pull me up the mountain faster, faster than he could. And uh, I just realized that I'd bitten off a little more I could chew with that elevation and that kind of work. And uh, always been a competitive type and uh, didn't want to back down from a challenge, but also didn't want to not come home. So. I, uh, I packed it up and came back to Georgia without a line this trip. Mm. So this trip, does that mean you're going back? I would go back eventually. I might find a, a, a desert to try to go hunt with some flatter <laughs> ground. Well, yeah. Uh, I did the same thing you did. I, I had went out to New Mexico and hunted because I, I wanted to watch. You know, I, I've seen a lot of dogs work in the snow, and I wanted to watch the dry ground stuff and one of the mistakes that I'm and li- listen, my family's got horses. I was raised around horses. I I used to team pin. Um, my sister and her family still rodeos. I mean, my little my nephew, he's 15, and I mean he's um, he's ro- he's team roping. I mean, so I've been around horses my whole life. Yeah. And we got out there the first morning, and rookie mistake here. I wore my Carhartts, and I had the double layered Carhartts with the rivets in them. Yep. Yeah. And after 25 miles that day, I could not walk the second day. And I'm <laughs> like, what were you thinking? Like, why did you do this? But in my mind, we were riding through the brush, so I wanted that double layer yeah. to, to help take the brush. But, yeah, he um, he put us on mules, too. And we went around the side of this, 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 out, this ledge, and I mean way up. And I took my foot out of the stirrup on the one side. That way, if the mule slid, I still had to get off and get to the upper side because I was not going down with him. Uh, yeah. yeah, I feel you. I feel you. I, like I said, they get into some country that that's some of the riding that I, I mean, I've done a lot of trail riding, but our trails are not like that. Yeah. And, that, and he told me that night when we got back to camp, he said, admittedly, that's some very rough country we were in today. He said, um for a hunt like that where he was out ahead of me going across the side of that mountain with a machete you know cutting us a trail because there wasn't any trails there and going straight down through some of that and then back up again i mean it was picture perfect you couldn't ask for any better scenery especially covered in snow mm-hmm. um, yeah i've seen some of the po- po- uh, pictures you posted it was beautiful yeah i've I've seen snow twice in my life down here, and both times we might have got an inch. So <laughs> when you see two or three foot, and uh, admittedly, on the day we truck hunted, if I hadn't thought I would have uh, looked like less of a man, I might have got down and made a snow angel just to send a picture <laughs> to my daughter. But uh, I said, decided I better not do that. But uh, to get to see that side of the country and uh, some amazing dogs and you know, a guy that knew what he was doing out there looked like a billy goat going across there. It was well worth the experience. What kind of dogs was he running? Um, looked like a 
to me, a lot of English kind of old line dogs, red tick colored. And we had that conversation and, you know, he, he said it was just an old line of line dogs that he had over the years. Um, I did have some blue ticks, had one black and tan and a couple tree and walkers, but pretty much everything else was red tick looking hound dogs. Yeah, a lot of those um, dry ground guys, um, they're they're using those there's white and red spotted dogs, yeah. you know, English type dogs. Right. They, they don't really call them English. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, uh the guy that I went with, he had a mixture too. I mean, they were all they were all he looked like the color of the rainbow. He had all kinds of them. <laughs> yeah, he uh, he didn't cool them. He didn't care about color as long as they'd hunt and from what I could tell, we did take a couple of young dogs um, the two days we rode, and uh, they were up with the pack, and uh, you could tell they knew what they were supposed to be doing, even for, for some good young dogs. So um, he knew what he had, and he had a good pack. Nice. Well, that leads me into the next. That segues us into the next section. So what kind of dogs are you running? I know, you know, we talked briefly, and you're running – uh, deer dogs, but you got several. What, what are you running? I'm running uh, running walkers. I've got long legged walker dogs, um, and I know you recently had James on here talking about his deer pack. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we call them walkers, but they've got a mixture from breedings that have gone on down here for deer hunting for years. Um, I think when I was in college. We got a black and tan colored walker dog from an old hunting friend of ours. And then we got a lemon and white uh, walker mm-hmm. jip from another guy with my dad. And uh, almost everything I've got is off of those two dogs now. I've I've had three litters off of those before they left and uh, raised those. And I've got a couple puppies off of uh, some buddy's dogs. So I've got some that look like blue ticks. I've got black and tan colored, tree and walker colored, and I've even got a, a red one, kind of like a July, but it's not a July. So it's kind of a hodgepodge looking pack of hounds, but they will naturally scold one across these flatwoods. Yeah, when uh, speaking of James, he called it that government goat. I always called him a speed beef. My yeah. dogs are under a speed beef. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, well. And so how how many so you're in your third generation of, of breeding those? Yeah, I'm in my third generation. Nice. Uh, well it's uh I've got the the mom mom and dad dogs or jam up trail dogs. Both are really cold nosed, um, easy handling dogs and long legged fast. And uh so I bred them and all three litters turned out ninety percent of all three litters turned out to be dogs that are still in people's packs right now, including mine. And it's, it's just been a good line of dogs that I couldn't beat. Now, do you, do you like the type of dogs that like really get on them and push them? If you're running long legged walker dogs, I'm assuming that's what you like. Oh yeah. You know, these big swamps down here and we've got some blocks in our club that are, thousand two thousand acres so you don't want something that's not going to push him real real hard or you're going to be there all day and never see a deer mm. so everything we hunt is you know going to be pretty close on him going to be pushing him hard and trying to get him out to out of the block yeah 
So, and is, is y'all hunting a lot of timber cuts? I know when I was down there, there was a lot of the the timber company. Oh yeah, everything yeah. we've got is timber company land, so it's all planted pines. Mm-hmm. You know, when they cut the timber down here, they'll leave the hardwoods and the little swamp heads um, where it's too wet for them to log. Um, so we've got a ton of deep holes of water um, that just got a bunch of kind of virgin timber in it. But uh, for the most part, it's all bedded up, planted pines. Nice. Now, do the so, and, and I'm asking because I don't, I don't really know. So do the deer, are they just bedding in the pines? Or, and that's going to ask, I'm going to ask you another question about trailing on pines in a second too. Um, because that's not going to be a food source for them. No. Um, and a lot of these planted pines, once they get old enough, they're going to be covered in briars before they get too big and shading out the briars to the deer. Down here, there's not a whole lot of food sources because they do cut a bunch of the hardwood. And, you know, it takes a while to get oak tree big enough to produce. So... They're eating briars, eating gallberries, and we have a bunch of palmettas. And, you know, mm-hmm. end of the summer, palmetto berries come in, and they love those. So most of the time, these deer are bedding right into these little heads, a little bit of water. Um, and we've got blocks. You know, you know kind of where the deer like to bed. We'll find their tracks on the road going through the pines. And, you know, 400 yards in there, there's a little head. And most of the time, those deer are going to be bedded up in there. So you, you get your trailing going get about three, 400 yards in there and you can tell they, that trail dogs jumped that deer out of the bed and turn the rest of the pack to it and get the race going. How long does your season last? Um, it comes in the third Saturday of October and goes out the second Sunday of January. That's pretty long. Yeah, we've got, well, we've got a pretty long season. Um, almost three full months and we get to do a lot of running. Our club, mm-hmm. we only run saturday sundays and wednesdays so we can't dog hunt every day but uh if i can get off work every wednesday during deer season that's a good thing give me an extra day to hunt yeah yeah absolutely so those clubs do they like so that's set dates that you can only so what do they do on mondays tuesdays and thursdays and fridays Uh, if anybody we do have some members that just still hunt Mm -hmm. um so that's a good day if you want to go get in the stands. You ain't got to worry about, you know, the dogs running. And some clubs you can run every day, but we try not to put as much pressure on the deer all season long. We do have 15,000 acres, so we got plenty of plenty of land and plenty of deer. And like the week of Christmas and the week of Thanksgiving, we can hunt the entire week. So we do have a couple of weeks during the year when we can hunt every day. But as mainly just the tradition of the club that's the way they've been going for 50 years and it works and we don't really have any complaints with it nice so let's go back to the pines because this has always intrigued me i have an educated guess but i'm not sure that it's correct so when your dogs get to trailing and they get into pines do you see a different behavior like the dog slows down stands on his head for a little bit i don't i've I've seen some guys that have some super cold nosed dogs and they will, they'll go from spot to spot to spot. I mean, they're slow trailing, but most of these pines down here that haven't been sprayed have enough undergrowth in them that there's mm. enough scent catch. Um, to catch and 
they're my dogs won't go from track to track to track they're pretty much running on the trail barking so they're pushing the trail or track pretty hard on its own yeah and it's it's always kind of an intrigued me that like dogs will be trailing and like i said we're our style of dogs changed a lot so i'm talking about my dogs 15 years ago you know they'd be trailing and run into a to a, a patch of pines and they'd be making good time and when they hit that it's kind of like they hit a wall and then they takes them a long time to work through it yeah. um, of course now the undergrowth there what i'm talking about is nothing but pine needles yeah. there's no vegetation there's no nothing like that that would catch the odor and i know that you know if you boil a pine a boil the pine needles um you know it, it puts off that odor and right. i don't that has anything to do with it or not but um that's that's a typical behavior that i've seen a lot of and when i see you guys hunting down south i've always had that in my head like wonder what happens with them but if you've got undergrowth it makes sense yeah and we've got one block we still call it the agent orange block timber company <laughs> went in there and sprayed it one year with something that killed everything but pine trees so mm. it was just orange pine straw under it mm. and for two or three years it's just like you're talking about you could turn out on a fresh deer track there and it it would stand them on their head they yep. were they struggled but now that the undergrowth the briars and the gallberry bushes are back it's kind of back the way it's supposed to be they're they're not struggling with it yeah yeah no that's that's it's interesting like i said scent's one of the things that really in, intrigues me and like i've never i've never been able to say this is exactly what's happening and i really think it's the odor for us coming out of the it, it would be like somebody trying to mask an odor for us running a car to try to to throw off our dogs and the dog can process through that the thing the thing is it takes him time to basically inventory all those odors that's coming out of that vehicle and yeah. say, okay, this is the this is the target odor, and I I kind of feel like it's the same way with um, the pine needles. Like they're having to inventory inventory because there's so much odor coming out of those until they can hit the target odor, and it just it just slows them down. That's my theory. I could be wrong. If somebody has the answer, hit me up. I'm willing to learn. But and and that's one thing. Listening to you talk about scent past couple years and the episodes you've talked, we've always wondered when we see a buck cross the road. <laughs> and you dump the box on him why they struggle on a track that's so fresh and i learned kind of why listening to your podcast you know just hadn't time had time for that scent to disperse the way it needs to you you know in your head you think man i just saw this good buck cross the road two seconds ago why can't they run him and they eventually will most of the time but it it makes you wonder what's going on out there it's funny you bring that up because last week in training we had uh um we done a um a, a zoom training with uh, a seminar and we showed our i showed our guys we showed our guys a video and this video you have to you have to look, you can look it up but it's very hard to find but it a college took and made this gas chamber and had a person walk into it and it showed the gases coming off of the person um it's so like it blows your mind how that odor like that gas does not fall to the ground it takes time and when everybody's seen that like okay well my dot when we hit so when we hit a hard top we call it a surface change so i'm tracking 
you know, this was the case, the police canine. If I'm tracking through vegetation and I come to a surface change, whether it be gravel, dirt, uh, train tracks are horrible, horrible, mm. horrible, horrible, or a roadway. And and I, I keep telling the guys, man, when you get ready to hit those surface changes, you have to slow down and give that dog time to process because of the odor. But anyway, we showed them the guy walking in the gas chamber and the odor was basically just kind of swirling. Um, it was swirling and swirling and swirling. And very slowly, it started like in a 45-degree angle. So if I put a backpack on you and I had you walk across a parking lot, here's a visual for the guys listening. I take that backpack and I unzip it at the top, and the, the pot I have packing peanuts in it. And I take those packing peanuts and I unzip the top, and you start walking across the parking lot, it starts – it starts dropping them, but it kind of drops them at a 45 degree angle behind you. And that's kind of the visual um, to paint it. If you, we, I couldn't show you the video, but I showed them that we showed that video and they're all like, boy, that really changes my perception. And I'm like, you got to give your t- dog time to work. You got to give that odor time to think. So what you're saying is a hundred percent on. And like, I don't get in a big hurry when they cross the road. Yeah. Okay. Give it a few minutes and then we can run it. And, and I tried that this deer season, actually, um, after I learned that, you know, time we see one, we get excited, get the hollering on the radio, sound like schoolgirls, and <laughs> you hear trucks revving up around the hunting club trying to get in the next spot to try to kill him. And you turn out dogs that you know are good deer dogs. Mm-hmm. And they make you look bad all of a sudden. And everybody's kind of talking ugly about you. Mm-hmm. But uh, I saw a couple this year and I gave it, a few minutes before I said anything on the radio, let it kind of settle out and go up there and turn out and had better luck with doing it that way than, you know, dumping immediately time we saw him. Well, you know, it's something we don't think about. And I, now that I'm, I do, I get, I still get excited. I love, I love the chase, but one thing that we have to realize as hunters is yes, when that game comes across the road and it sees us like, yeah, it's running, but it's only going to run 100, 200 yards in the woods, and then it's going to go back to its its walking or trotting or whatever. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to literally put right on his hind end. Like, you just don't have to – like, he's not going far. He's not going far. And I think sure. we're in the mindset that, man, I got to dump right on him. I got to put right on him and, and get the dogs right on him to catch him. And like I said, your dog's going to catch him in 200 yards too, so – you know, and it's just like you said, the excitement. If you're still doing this for the right reasons, you want to hear a good race. And it's never really about the kill force, you know, anymore. Mm-hmm. It's about hearing the hounds work. And I mean, you see that jerk across the road and it's immediate, like, all right, it's time to have a good race. So you got to slow down a little bit and take your time and, uh, you know, give your dogs a good fighting chance with it. Yeah. And I, I've always said this and I keep saying it that. If one thing that I've learned that if you have a little bit of patience, it goes a long way. And that's in every aspect. That's training dogs, running dogs, chasing game. Like sometimes if you just slow down and you look at those old timers, you know, one comes to mind with me and he's never in a hurry. He was never in a hurry. Like, you know, uh, a guy called said a bear had uh, crossed the backside of his field one morning and I mean, I'm jumping at the bit, like I'm re- like loading the dogs, let's go. And he's like, ah, we'll drink our coffee and we'll get up there in a little bit. And I mean, we catch the bear. Like, yeah. and it's like, you know, and 
you, you talk about old timers and it's kind of that unseen knowledge that they know and they're not explaining it to you, but there was a lot of, um, there was a lot of knowledge behind what they did. Oh yeah. And that's just like with puppies, you know, yeah. too, they wouldn't try to run a dog till he was a year old and anymore with social media posts. If you don't have one running or trailing at six months old, you feel like you're falling behind. And mm. I've had to learn that myself, raising litters of puppies. It's, you got to give them a chance. You can't rush it. It's going yeah. some dogs. It's going to take a little longer than others, and you just got to work your way through it and hope it works out in the end. Yeah, and I, I mean, again, we're repeating what we've repeated, but a lot of times the dogs that are slow starters and that we, you know, we put we kind of leave them in the pen because they're not doing much. They ended up being the better dogs when it comes to you know long term. When we talk about long term, you're you're. Like you said, everybody focuses on that short term. I want, I want that dog doing something at six months old. Well, yeah, I want to see some 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 natural instincts out of it. But I, that dog don't have to be making races. Or I, in fact, I'm like you. I don't put my. I try very hard not to put mine in the woods until a year old. Uh, in fact, um, I I coon hunted one night this week, and I haven't. I didn't coon hunt none. I don't think I coon hunted none last year. But I got a little jip. She's um eight nine months old and I need to get her started. I've done my trail and stuff, my imprinting with scent and stuff with her. And I mean, I'm, I'm really pleased with her. Knock on wood. You know how it is dog. You say they won't and they will and they will and they won't Murphy's law will catch you. But, um, I've done my imprinting. I've done my trailing with her, um, my loading, my leading, all that stuff and took her out, uh, Wednesday night. And now she, I didn't turn her loose until the dog, the older dogs open because she's trashy she'll run some of them speed beef there um so I, I held her until the old dog struck and i turned her loose and she was in there with him for and it was a full moon too which is not i don't like hunting in a full moon ain't nothing but skunk city for us so <laughs> and i even told the boy i was hunting with because i i was going with him because he had the coon dog and i'm like man these are my nights we're just gonna catch skunks he goes don't, don't say that but uh i turned him loose to his old dog and she was in there for five, six, seven minutes, and he trailed through a patch of woods, come out into a field to a pond, and I'm thinking, skunk, skunk. Well, about that time, she starts opening up, and they go around the edge of the pond and up through the field and into another big patch of timber, and he give out two big locates, and I heard her come on the tree, and I'm like, oh, okay. Now, she didn't blow the world down, but she treed good enough for her first time out. Um, I'm not competition hunting, so I could care less. Um she got to train real good there for a couple minutes. We had to cross the fence and walk through the field and get to her. But uh, I was really pleased with her um, on that. And like I said, I'm going through the process. I don't, I'm not rushing her, you know, so, but yeah. And that's, I've been working. I've got three eight month old young dogs right now that I bred out of one of my gyps and, uh, you know, they were the perfect age to kind of try to start doing a little bit with this deer season, but you know, active deer season, a lot of trucks running around. It's not a great time to work some young dogs. Mm -hmm. So I've been working them a little bit now that deer season's out and taking them with some of my older dogs. And, uh, I had three older dogs running one a couple Saturdays ago. And, uh, I had the puppies out in the road with me, just getting them used to it. And the deer just happened to cross about 75 yards from me. So I run them down there and they put their nose in the track and took off barking and got with the older dogs when they crossed, got with the puppies and they stayed with them for 
probably half a mile and I could hear a couple of them in there barking and I'm like, you couldn't ask for any better situation. That's a pretty good start, you know, for dogs that really hadn't been involved yet. And mm -hmm. so, you know, little games like that is, is a good way to go. Yeah. Now, can you train or do you can only run your dogs during that October to January? You can train. We don't have a dedicated training season like Florida does, but uh, we kind of just keep it low-key. Obviously, no guns in the truck or anything like that, and um, we'll train during off season. Nice. Well, <clears throat> let's get into the, to the, the meat. We say the meat and potatoes of this because this is what we really want to talk about is your upcoming issue um, – it being a youth issue and let's just let's let's get it out there and give it a little bit of notoriety so some people get on that yeah absolutely you know uh, when i started this magazine six years ago i wanted to do something for dog hunting never been involved in publishing i work at the hospital um so i've never had any idea anything about this but i wanted to do something for the dog hunting community because I was raised in this from the time I was little and my daughter at the time was five and six, five or six. And uh, she was riding with me every Saturday and loving every minute of it. And I said, I want to do what I can to help preserve dog hunting for her in the future. So we started the magazine and out of my love for the youth hunting, we uh, had our own hound hunting kids section in every issue, did a feature story on one kid with his, favorite hunt, his first kill, her first kill, whatever it may be, and brag pages uh, for pictures. But something we've been talking about for a few months now is to have one whole issue dedicated to the youth hunters. So from front to back cover, we want to feature all of our youth dog hunters out there. Um, it's near and dear to our hearts as it is to a lot of people. Um, and that's probably been my favorite section of the magazine since we've been doing it. When you get a nine or 10 year old kid call you on the phone and sit here and talk to you for two hours, telling you their story so you can write it down and get it ready for the magazine to publish and talking to some of these kids about their bear hunts or deer hunts, whatever it may be, man, that's a great feeling to hear them. They're talking about what stand they went to, what dogs they turned out what role they played and and you know even we've had some stories about kids doing the work in the off season all of them having to been about killing an animal because that's not what it's all about they're telling me about feeding dogs and helping worm dogs and washing out pens for the parents every afternoon just the work that these kids put in to to having a good season and a good pack of dogs is is amazing and that's what we want to promote is to let everybody know what kind of job these kids are doing and what the work they're willing to, willing to put in to to enjoy this sport. Yeah, it's like I told you, we you know our group, um, you know, there's only six, eight, maybe ten of us, but every one of us has got kids, and I mean, on weekends there's everybody's got truckloads, uh, holidays like. During Christmas break, you know, they're off for that two and a half weeks. I mean, every day they're with us. Uh, training season in August before school starts, they're with us. You know, they're they're with us all the time. And, you know, I think that, I mean, I love I love when, when, when Maddie's with me 
Like, you know, I really enjoy that time. And she loves the dogs. She could care, don't care nothing about taking any kind type of animal, but those dogs mean everything to her. And, you know, I got to give her kudos. I mean, she, when she's with me, she's out there helping me feed clean pens, cleaning water bowl. Every time she, I mean, cleans water bowls constantly out there, scrubbing them, getting the, you know, little green slime out of them. Like she's all the time doing it. You know, she's working dogs. She's leading puppies. She, I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a thing, a big thing for them. And just having it. And they're like, you know, they're asked they're She's texting me like on Wednesday. Hey, who's hunting this weekend? Is so-and-so going? Is so-and-so going? Yeah, honey, they'll all be there. And then, you know, we have, you know, it's more than just hunting. It makes it more family oriented. with yep. the kids. And I, I love that aspect because we're in a very family oriented club. Um, we'll have in the 15 trucks every day we hunt and over half of them will have kids in them. And these kids have grown up together and several of the guys I hunt with, we were their age hunting with our dads growing up doing this together. So we've been friends for close to 40 years. The relationships they build in the woods with these other kids are lifetime. And mm-hmm. to have that kind of important friendship built on something so solid, you can't replace that. And my daughter's the same way. Remy actually woke me up on opening day of deer season in October. I was, I might've overslept a few minutes. She woke <laughs> me up and uh, she was already dressed. And she said, daddy, I'm going to go out there and go ahead and start putting the collars on the dogs. I'll be ready when you get out there. So when I got up and dressed and got stuff out of the house, she was already out there putting the tracking collars on the dogs, had some of them in the dog box, and she was ready to go. And she's 11. So, um, and now she wants to be a vet. So I wouldn't turn, I wouldn't turn that down for, for anything. If she would, it'd be nice to have a vet in the family. I beg mine to, and she, she can work on the dogs, but um, we had a dog that had cancer cancer two years ago, and we had to take her over to tech, and we ended up having to have her put down, and that just destroyed Maddie. Like, and then one of my good dogs, um, Jack, couple two years ago, he um, anyway, that that's the part she's like, Dad, I can't. She said, I can't do that. She said, I can't. And I'm like, I get it, huh? It's all good. Yeah. And Remy's seen that. She's seen both sides, the good and the bad. She's been there when we've had litters of puppies and helped with that. And she's seen the bad, sad side when you have to put one down. Um, but she's adamant. She's already picked out a spot in town where she wants me to buy so she can build her bed office one day. I'm like, baby, you got a long way to go. Let's see how it goes first. But, uh, you know, her and her friends will get on the dog box the way we hunt, and they'll ride all day on a saturday they're back there having a big time it's a social mm-hmm. event for them just like it is us and yeah you know and she's gotten serious about the hunt in the last couple of years and killed some deer in front of dogs but every now and then she'll get a little loud with her friends and turn a deer off of you but i i'd rather be there turning a deer off of me than be at the house yeah yeah, that's exactly right. And I, I mean, especially the way kids play games and stuff now, they're on the Xbox and Wii or whatever they have. Like, you know, yeah, she she's on her phone, but when we go to the woods, that's it's it. Like, th- none of that other stuff matters. 
And it's funny. She, I can't remember what class um, she, she had class she had a class a couple weeks ago or maybe it was two months ago. I don't remember right after Christmas. And anyway, she come home and she's like, dad, guess what? And I'm like, what, hon? And she's like, I'm the only one in class that knew how to read a map. And I'm like, what? And she's like, yeah. She's like, and I, I can't remember the name of the class she's doing. But anyway, like they had had a topo map and everything. And, and the teacher was like, well, how do you know this? And she's like, well, I track the dogs with the Garmin and it's all, she's like, I know where it's steep and where it's not. <laughs> so, you know, that's a life lesson that we, we teach our kids. And I mean, it's going to school and like, she knows, you know, she knows, and you know, that impressed me. And I was tickled that she was tickled to death that the teacher was like, how do you know this? <laughs> she was like, well, we track the dogs. <laughs> so she had to explain the whole thing to them. And, and she loved it. She loved talking about what we do. You know, and that's a great thing, you know, when you've got a kid that's raised in the woods like that and has learned a lot of stuff that most kids don't learn at that age. They Their knowledge base grows. They're willing to learn a lot more, um, and they're excited about it. It's a lot more fun learning some of those things, just like your daughter learning the map in the woods tracking a dog than learning it in school. Mm-hmm. And it seems to te- to me, it seems like they – take hold of it a lot better with that information yeah because it's something they enjoy and learning is fun when you enjoy it or she didn't even know she was learning like she didn't you know in her mind she's reading the garment or uh whatever and we've we've had those conversations you know she's always asked about what the little numbers are and i tell her that's elevation and then you know um one of the one of her better hunts this year we ended up in a real steep country and we were talking about it walking in i'm like well we're gonna have to go around this it's gonna be a cliff there and she goes how do you know it's a cliff there and i'm like well one i've been in here and two you can look right here and i sit down on a rock and we explained it and like who would have known that you know two or three four months later she was going to be talking about that in class yeah and that you know the handhelds come in handy for those kind of teaching moments and just life in general hanging out with a bunch of adults they pick on a lot, pick up a lot of information. Some of it you might not want them to pick up on, you know, every now and then. But uh, they do learn a lot from other hunters that they get to associate with. One of the guys that hunts with us, I've hunted with him my entire life. He was one of my dad's best friends. And I swear Remy's more excited to see him make sure he's going to be hunting there that day because she loves listening to him tell stories that she learns from. And she'll get the truck and ride with him for a few hours. and. Um, just all the experiences combined, you can't beat raising a kid the way we do with the dogs. That's right. That's called life. That's right. And a lot of these kids aren't, aren't getting to experience life. And I mean, that's very unfortunate for, you know, a lot of, a lot of kids because they, they'll never know what, you know, I, you know, I get to travel quite a bit. I'm very blessed and, I go to these areas, mostly the big, because I'm I'm like you. I'm from my my hometown was seventeen hundred people, like no one red light, and everybody knew everybody. You know, but I go to these other places, and um, I, in fact, I I just talk. I'll be I'll be very specific. You know, we were in um, uh, Las Vegas last year, and we're walking around and looking at all the sites and everything, and you know, I I kind of look around and I'm like. You know, these people, 
there's a whole nother life out here that these people, they never leave the city. Like they never leave the pavement yep. and they don't know, like they don't know. And, you know, you look at things like you and I can survive. Mm-hmm. Things, if things go bad, you and I can survive. Our kids can survive because what they've learned, but people that have never left the pavement. Um, and I say that meaning that they've never left the city. They've never had to, everything they got is right there. Yeah, readily and, available. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's just like, I, I really enjoy going to those places and seeing those things, but I feel so blessed that I was raised the way I was and I live where I'm at. And, you know, I don't think everybody looks at life that way. Not at all. And that's one thing that's been encouraging to me because I was in my own little dog hunting world, I reckon you could call it, down here with all the people I've grown up with. And our, our community is a big dog hunting community. There's a bunch of guys with dog boxes in their trucks here. But once I started the magazine and expanded my knowledge and friendships with people across the country now, um, it's encouraging to see how many kids are actually involved in this sport. I bet we probably get seven to 800 pictures every issue of people sending us their kids. Um, and we have to sort through them and try to be fair and put everybody in. But it's encouraging when you've got that many kids participating and learning real life experiences in the woods. Um, it does my heart good. You know, and you're saying that, and I, I, I've seen this quote, especially the last two weeks. I've seen it a lot where people post that, you know, take a kid hunting or it has something to do with that. And it says, why? And you say, I was once that kid. And, you know, I've, I've often thought that, you know, where, where would I be if somebody hadn't encouraged me or took, taken me? I mean, my life revolves around dogs, <laughs> like literally. Like it it has for the last 30 plus years, but there's always been a dog in my life from, from as far back as I can remember, there's been dogs in my life. And for the last 30 years, it's pretty much been my way of life. And I love, I love my life. I love what I do and I wouldn't trade it for anything, but I often wonder when, you know, when I see that post, that's what comes to my mind is like, what, what if, what if you, Somebody didn't take you hunting. What if somebody didn't encourage you? Um, we hunted. I, I've got. I got taken hunting when I was a kid to provide food for the family. That's why we. That's why I. We went for the very first time I ever went. Um, went squirrel hunting with my dad. My dad took me squirrel hunting, and you know we killed six squirrels. That was our limit, and we had squirrel gravy the next morning. You know, it was huge when I was in high school. Like me and my brother would fight over deer. Like. Like I'd be going to a spot and he'd be mad because I'd be in his spot or vice versa. But, you know, tenderloin biscuits every morning before school. I mean, that was like the highlight. Oh, yeah. Uh, But I often wonder about when I see that post, that's the first thing that comes to my mind is, you know, wonder what I would be doing. And I'm the same way. My dad had deer dogs when I was born. The day I was born he was had just turned out his box quail dogs he was bird hunting and they had to get a hold of him on the cb radio and say hey martha's in labor you got to come to the hospital Mm. so dogs have been an important part of my life from day one um 
and I don't know, I'm like you, what would I do without all this? I've got pictures of me in the truck seat standing up when I was two. So I've been running deer dogs for 40 years, pretty much. And now raising Remy in it and seeing her experiences and her just pure joy on her face every Saturday morning when we load up, that's something you can never take away. Mm -mm. And she, and you know, I think about this because the amount of time that we spend in the woods with our kids, like those are memories that when we're long gone, they will never forget. Yeah. And, and I can, I can say that now my dad passed away three years ago this month and there's memories I look back on now with him in the woods and all the stuff we did. I'll never forget them. I mean, we spent so much time together on the woods or in the water or in the woods or on the water that, I mean, I've got so many memories that you just can't forget and stuff I could never replace. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Well, like I said, I, I mean, I'm tickled to death that you're doing that and, like I said, I hope to get some pictures or like I said, Maddie, I asked Maddie to write, she wrote me like a little short story. Um, but maybe we can get that in. And like I said, I'm tickled to death and, you know, I definitely support that cause and that I, I, I support any hound mission anyway, but I really support the cause, what you're doing, Mark. And like I said, I think it's great for the kids because how many kids are going to be carrying that? copy in that magazine around the school showing all their friends yep and that's what it's all about you know having those kids be excited show off other people and you never know it might inspire another kid to ask hey can i go hunting with you this year and parents take them and there you've got another hunter um so to reach out and show all the positive things and like this this youth issue i've saved two stories um Florida had their first ever youth only day this past season. And one of the clubs that I've hunted with down there um, sponsored it and took the kids on their first, first youth deer dog hunt. And we've got a story about it. Um, a youth deer season uh, special every year in North Carolina. We've been the last four or five years to participate, be a part of it. We've got that story. So there's these clubs that are doing great things for not only the dog hunting community, but for their communities as a whole, inviting kids that have never been hunting anything and taking them on a, a deer dog hunt or a bear hunt, whatever it may be, and showing them the ropes and letting them experience the woods for the first time. And to be able to share those stories with the world and, you know, kind of show what our true colors are with all the adversities dog hunters face as a, a community i mean we need to show off the, the positive aspects and the reach we have to do good things for people yes and i i mean i really am a firm believer that you know being a, a mentor mentorship like just what you're saying you know taking taking that that kid hunting or you know, taking them and putting them in the woods and give them something to be proud of or something to look forward to. Uh, it, it, it lasts a lifetime. I'm sorry, but it does. It does. Absolutely. And that, and that's what I love when we started this magazine, we questioned what we would cover on the pages, whether it be just deer hunting or whether it be a combination of things, but 
when we discussed it, we wanted to include everybody. So if you've got a kid that squirrel hunts with a feist or a cur, we cover it. If you've got a kid that bear hunts or hog hunts or deer hunts, it doesn't matter. And even this issue, we're probably going to have some pictures of kids with doves and their bird dogs in there. You know, it doesn't matter what they're doing. As long as they're in the outdoors, we want to promote it. Yeah, I'm 100% behind you. <clears throat> Mark, is there anything else that you want us to know about your magazine that the listeners um, need to know? Or like I said, you guys can go. I, and I, In fact, I just looked it up. You can go to southernhoundhunting.com and you got a one-year subscription, a two-year subscription. You can buy it by the, by the issue itself. Um, you got a lot of good things going on there. Anything you want to add to it? Um, one of the things we're most proud of is, you know, we're a dog hunting publication by dog hunters for dog hunters. So when you read the stories in the pages of the magazine, they're hunters just like me and you. We work with guys and girls that send us their stories and we help them get a magazine ready. Um, my wife does all the editing, does a fantastic job with it. So it's not a lot of technical stories like you see in some of the more mainstream uh, hunting publications, but it's just true to life hunting stories that can speak volumes of what you've done yourself. And that's one of the things I've liked the most. We've had a couple professional writers do stuff for us and, you know, great work, good, good stories. But I like, I like the personal stories that we publish in every issue and that that's what we're going to keep trying to do. Well, I appreciate it. And I'm sure the listeners appreciate it. And I know darn well, the kids are going to love it. I hope so. Well, <clears throat> Mark, we are about at our time limit. Um, I appreciate you coming on and talking about the magazine. I, I hope this issue is the best one of all times. I hope they're all good, but I really hope this one explodes, especially like I said, I'm all about the kids and you know, we don't, we don't hunt without them. You're not hunting without them. They're a huge part of our life and, and what we do. And like, it's, it's just, a, it's a great thing that you're doing. Well, I appreciate it. And Heath, I appreciate you having me on the, the podcast. It's definitely an honor to be here with you. I'm glad to have you, Mark. Thank you for helping us teach, train, and learn. Yes, sir. My pleasure.